Hello everyone and welcome to episode 24 of SIDcast. I'm your host David Gibson. Thank you all for downloading, subscribing, and for those of you that have rated and reviewed, thank you. Um, I'm speaking to only one of you because that's how many I have, and that would be uh, my former sweet mate. So I don't, I don't know if that, he gave me a five star. So I, I don't know if that counts for anything. That was nice of you, Ryan, but, but I, I need a little bit more than that to show up. My uncle tried to search for this the other day, and he couldn't find it on iTunes because... No rating and reviewing, which is fine with me. Also, you can follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter, backslash SportsInfoCast, because SIDCast is taken uh, by a guy named who has his own podcast, and he hasn't done it in like two years. Um, so, yeah, which would be nice to have my own username, but that that's fine. You do you, bud. His name is Sid. Um, so, yeah, it's also occurred to me that a lot of you on Facebook don't follow on Twitter, and a lot of you people follow on Twitter and don't go on Facebook. I update uh, Twitter a little bit more than Facebook, um, just because I have to tailor it to my audience, which I'm sure most of you understand that. So, with me today is Olivia Coiro of the East Carolina Pirates. Olivia, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, happy to be here. Hey, thanks for coming on. Um, draft is tonight. You guys got a player coming. Uh, you're a Jets fan, you were telling me. Yeah, I'm a Jets fan, so I actually, I don't think I've watched the draft in maybe three or four years now. I just, I don't really get excited for football season. Grew up in season tickets with the Jets, and ever since I moved out of New York and stopped going to as many games, it became easier and easier to, you know, stop following them because of their lack of success. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anything that the ECU athletic department's doing for that? How many players? Are, how many players are projected for ECU? Um, I'm not sure total number, but I know Zay Jones, our wide receiver, he set the uh, career receptions record for the NCAA this past season, and he's expected to go very high. He's you know rated as like could be the biggest steal in wide receiver and all this stuff. So I know we have. A lot of coverage coming out for him um, specifically. I'm not sure who else, you know, is going into the draft or anything else, but Zay is pretty much the big name for us this year. Okay, all right. Well, let's jump into some uh, SAD stuff. You got a degree in sport management from LaSalle. Uh, tell us about LaSalle. Um, I, I have not heard of it. I, I, as I was telling you off air, if I ever go on Jeopardy and Alex Trebek, asked me um, what's my hidden talent that I could do. It would be to name all colleges, locations, and mascots. Never heard of LaSalle until you told me about it. So the lasers, that's interesting. Um, so LaSalle is a uh, small little college outside, just outside of the city of Boston. It's on the green line, the very end of the green line of the T. So we're on the same line as Fenway Park. Um, being a native New Yorker, going to school on the same T line as Fenway was not ideal for me <laughs> if I should say studying sports in Boston also probably wasn't but um I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for LaSalle um but I worked there as an undergrad for four years while I was um, a student I actually went in as an athletic training major but I have the worst memory in the world and I couldn't remember bones and muscles and tendons and ligaments and that was only in year one so I transferred into a sports management program I had amazing professors in that program and really good classmates. It was so much fun. Um, and I interned in our athletic department for four years while I was there with our SID. And then three years while I was at LaSalle, I was also interning at a um, another small school in Boston. Well, it's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Leslie University, which is another small D3 school. So I actually was pretty busy as an undergrad at LaSalle, um, was pretty active on campus and different organizations as well. I look back now and I have no idea how I managed my time, but I think all of that prepared me to be a super busy SID, so it worked out. When did you get bit by the SID bug? Um, I went to college intending to run cross country because I was a runner my whole life, and I kind of... You know, I had some injuries in the end of high school, and I didn't really want to run anymore, but my mom was, she, she's going to listen to this, she's going to yell at me, but she was super, like, you know, running something you could do your whole life, and I was like, but I don't want to. <laughs> so, <laughs> I went in, and then I just had, a, like, a little bit of a hip injury, and I never actually ended up competing, because then I got mono, 
So I was sick and injured, and I couldn't do cross-country anymore. So I kind of just left cross-country and got a work-study job in the athletic department. And I was a ball girl, like, you know, shagging fly balls and foul balls and stuff. And um, my boss, who oversaw all the SIDs, uh, who oversaw all the interns, was the SID. And she, uh, her name was Janice Copolino. She's not in the business anymore. But at the time, she took a real liking to me. Um, she's great. I mean, she was my first mentor ever. Um and she kind of just took me under her wing. Uh, she didn't baby me. She challenged me. She also told me I never had the attention span to stat women's, uh, men's or women's basketball. And here I am, a Division One women's basketball SID. <laughs> so, um, you know, she challenged me, but it was fun. And I worked for her for the first three years um, of my undergrad. And then she quit in um, November of my senior year to take another job opportunity outside of athletics. And we had a little dead period where there was no SID and our athletic director, Christy Walter, um, you know, just came, called me in her office and said, Hey, you know, you were Janice's, you know, number one assistant for forever. I mean, maybe I was on number one, but there were older kids than me for a while. But, um, she was like, you've been here four years. Like, do you want to just take it on and do what you can do more office hours? And I was like, sure. So, um, between me and our assistant AD at the time, who was also the lacrosse coach, we kind of just balanced it out and did it together. Um, and then in January or February, my senior year, we hired a new SID. His name's Todd Montana. He's actually not an SID anymore. And now he, he still works at LaSalle. He's an assistant AD and he's the women's basketball head coach. Um, and he taught me more about graphics and, and, um, InDesign and Photoshop, a little bit because I had never really used that stuff before because when I was in college, although it was only like five or six years ago, that stuff wasn't as like popular as it is now. So um, I learned a little bit through him and then uh, graduated and actually didn't go right into the SID world after leaving LaSalle. I didn't know what I wanted to do, weirdly enough, because I worked for four years in, yeah. <laughs> in sports information. I kind of, you know, the writing was on the wall of what I was going to do and I kind of took my time with it, and then I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to start looking for jobs now. <laughs> that works perfectly. So uh, if I'm not mistaken, right after that, was it Lynn that you ended up at? Yeah, so um, I actually was a June graduate, I guess, June, July. I had one more co course to take um, due to, like, my switching of majors and right. super bad grades and mono. And, you know, I'm not a strong student, and I never was. So um, I graduated in June. I actually had a few, a couple jobs at one time in New York back home and was living in my mom's house. And then in about October, I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I was working a job in New York City, commuting to the city. I didn't like it. It was an hour train ride each way. And um, it really changed my attitude towards New York City. Now I go back and I love it. But just having to be there every day and the tourists and the traffic, it just, I knew that that's not what I wanted for my life, so I started to look into um, college athletics jobs again. And um, Lynn, actually, I had applied all over the place, and when Chad Beatty, who ended up being my boss at Lynn, when he called me to set up an interview, I so, so rookie of me, I was like, oh, yeah, where's Lynn? Because I had applied to so many places. <laughs> like, never do that. Anyone who's listening, yeah. don't ever do that. Know where the schools are. But I was just looking anywhere because I was 21. Oops, sorry. That was my dog. Um, I was 21 years old and could move anywhere. So I wasn't tied to anything. And I was like, yeah, sure. Where's Lynn? He was like, Boca Raton, Florida. And I was like, I could get on board with that. <laughs> so um, I flew down to Lynn in, in October. Um, they were hosting the presidential debate that year, which was, um, I think it was Obama's first, no, second term. It was the debates during his, set, like, right before his second term. Yeah. And it was crazy. He went down for an interview, and there was, like, CIA people everywhere, and, like, you couldn't go anywhere. Everything was fenced off because they were holding the debate that weekend, and mm -hmm. I was there on, like, a... Friday night. Um, and then I left Monday morning, Chad called me up, offered me the job. And I, I didn't realize he was offering me the job because I'd never been offered like a full time job before. And I was like, Oh, so like, you're thinking about offering? He's like, No, I'm offering you the job. I was like, Oh, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> so then um, I was 
supposed to move in in um in like a week, but then Hurricane Sandy came and pretty much destroyed New York, and I couldn't get off Long Island, so it was delayed a little bit. But in November, I got there and I started at Lynn. I worked there for three years, and it was incredible, and I still miss it. But I knew it was time to move on, and I did after three years. I'm gonna ask you this a couple times as we go through your background. What was different between being, you know, a student assistant at a D3 school and then moving to you know, being primary contact at, at a D2 school, you know? In, in a different part of the nation. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I thought I was so prepared. And, you know, we I still keep in touch with Chad. And um, every year when I see him at convention, we joke about how bad I was my first year. And I still look back now and think how bad I was all three years. But, you know, I'd never written a golf story before. And the first mm-hmm. time I ever wrote a golf story was in a NCAA regional tournament and I was like I don't know what I'm doing I've never covered this sport before so the first year was such a challenge um learning things learning you know we didn't have we had a in-house website and when I was at LaSalle we had a Presto website so almost was like backtracking in that sense and I had to learn stuff like coding certain things and I am not I'm not tech savvy at all I mean I struggle with my iPhone sometimes which People make fun of me because I work in such a, you know, technology-forward profession. Yeah. I'm bad at it. Um, but it was total struggle. I wasn't prepared. Um, now, thinking back, and all, I didn't know that there was such a thing as GA positions, or I wasn't really taught that stuff. Not that, like, LaSalle didn't teach me that stuff. It's It wasn't never really tailored specifically towards, like, hey, you can go be a GA and learn more sports information and then get a full-time job. So... I, looking back on it now, I kind of, I wouldn't say regret it, but wish I had grad school before I went to full-time, just because it would have given me some more time and learning more as a primary contact. Um, But yeah, that first year was really rough. Um, I definitely had a lot of breakdowns and cried. (laughs) It was tough because I was in a new, like you said, a new part of the country. I didn't know anyone there except people at work um family was far and i was very alone and totally suffocating at work <laughs> yeah. but it worked out in the end i got better as time went on but that first year i don't know why they didn't get rid of me i was, it was <laughs> um it just i want to go back a little bit just psychologically being that young and just you know being displaced from your family like, like you're moving from new york to florida what what did you have to tell yourself to say Okay, this is life. Like you're you're gonna be able to, you know, make it through this. Um, well, I told myself that I woke up every day to eighty degree weather and sunshine and palm trees, and who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, that's why people retire to Florida because it's so beautiful. I lived on a brackish water canal, and um, I was I picked up I learned how to fish in salt water, and well, I mean, I knew how to do that already, but more detailed and. I would go fishing, and I actually, um, one of my next-door neighbors in my apartment complex, who was older than me, worked at a golf course nearby. We got really close, and we started going sharking together. So I slowly developed a life outside of work um, when I was down in Florida, but a lot of it was just, you know, take advantage of this opportunity you have. You know, my mom has lived in New York her whole life. Um, My sister has lived all around the globe. So I was kind of finding a happy medium between the two. Um, and like I said, I mean, I was in Boca Tone. It's beautiful there. I was 30 minutes from West Palm Beach, 30 minutes from Fort Lauderdale, and an hour from Miami. And, you know, everyone knows someone in one of those three towns. So there were people I knew nearby. Um, it was definitely hard being, I mean, I think I moved there when I had just turned 22, And it was tough because a lot of the things, like a lot of our student athletes at Lynn were my age or older. Um, Our soccer team was a lot of international grad students that year, and they were all like 24 and 26, and they were older than me. It's kind of challenging to gain respect as a female in working in a sports profession, but even more when you're super young and sometimes younger than your student athletes. Um, So that was probably the other big challenge part of moving that far and going through that we will get to that in a minute but first because <laughs> okay. I, I, I really do want to talk about that but first how did how did you get to UNC Greensboro just to detail that whole process and how you got that position okay um so 
I was at Lynn for three years and I kind of, Lynn was, and still will always feel like kind of home to me. It was, you know, where I started my career. But after three years, I kind of started to have bigger goals for myself. Um, my first three years were just survive, you know, or first two years were just survive and figure it out as I go and try not to cry all the time, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but after my third year at Lynn, I went to convention at, to Cosida's convention and just really started to network and meet a lot of people. And it's there that I had bumped into one of my former classmates at LaSalle who, totally weird story, she used to work at Murray State with another one of my former classmates, who's an SID, this girl in specific, her name's Sam, she works in marketing, we bumped into each other at convention, and she was looking for jobs, and I was like, oh, let me know if there's anything I can do to help you, you know, and, and I had, you know, tried to get her into a couple schools down in Florida that I knew, and then a few months later, she got a job, I think it was in July, at UNCG, and, um, we had redesigned some of our stuff at Lynn a few few years earlier and actually used UNCG stuff as a template. Oh, good. <laughs> so they're, they're like, you know, their Greek key and stuff was like already on my radar. Uh, and um, <laughs> she had told me she got the job there and I was like, wow, congratulations. And then about a month after she'd been there, their, one of their SIDs was leaving and she called me and was like, you should apply. And we, you know, we were classmates together. I knew her for four years, five years now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I applied and uh, Matt McAllister, my boss there, offered me a job like on the spot. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got there. Leaving Lynn, I mean, I cried for like a week straight. I was so emotional about it because it was where I started my career, my full-time career at least. And, you know, it was a great opportunity to be there in Florida. And North Carolina is beautiful. Obviously, I'm still in North Carolina, but it was closer to home. But Florida, there was just something special about Lynn and the people that worked there. Um, everyone from, you know, the SWA slash assistant AD, Sarah Kochaki, she's still one of my best friends. She was like a big sister to me when I was there. Really, she was my second female mentor I ever really had. Um, started as an SID and kind of worked her way up. And um, I mean, everyone. I had great coaches there. My student-athletes were great, and we won a lot of championships when I was there. So leaving that to go to a mid-major school that didn't even have football was like okay this is gonna be scary but it'll be good for me in the long run I hope so yeah I'm gonna ask you one more time what was the uh the transition from D2 to D1 like I mean because you you went from Lynn to like you said UNC Greensboro I mean what yeah. what was that so like? it was actually kind of weird for me I would say it was kind of like a equal plateau okay. except I had to do more game notes, but I already did game notes at Lynn because my men's basketball team had made the Division II tournament that year, and our coach was new that year, but he had come from, you know, he was at Georgia Southern for over a decade, and he had D1 experience, so he was like, you have to do these things at D2 because it's going to make you better when you go D1. Like, he always told me that, and I was like, you're crazy, I'm never leaving Lynn, and he was like, yes, you are, and then... Actually, the day I told him I was leaving Lynn, he was joking. He's like, oh, here's, you know, he had just hired a new assistant coach. And he's like, oh, this is Olivia. She's she's the best SID. She's great. And I was like, funny thing is, I'm not your SID anymore. And he was like, you're leaving. And he was so mad at me, but super proud. Um, but, yeah, I didn't really see that much of a difference because I had done so much at Lynn. I mean, when I was at Lynn, I covered countless teams in the NCAA tournament for Division Two. I covered our women's golf team in the postseason when they won back-to-back -back national championships. So going from that almost to going to UNCG where my teams were middle of the pack in our conference, you know, hardly ever nationally ranked, it was weird for me. I was like, what do you mean we're, we don't go postseason every year? And <laughs> what do you mean I don't travel with all of my sports? Because at Lynn, I traveled with as many as I could. You know, I'd be gone five days a week sometimes. Right. Um, so, like, those adjustments were weird for me, but the actual job of being an SID didn't really change much okay okay that that's how it's been described a, a lot from a different guest that we that we've talked okay. to um moving on just a little bit further in your career ecu same question how'd you end up there um so you know how everyone always talks about how it's all about who you know right and i'm always like no it's not well it kind of is because yeah. i was at uncg for um, I started in September, and in October, the volleyball baseball SID left to go to ECU. 
and that's Chip Welch. He's one of my best friends and obviously my coworker now. And Chip and I kept in touch. We actually, I think, got closer after he left. And um, this UNCG, it was a good school, but I felt like, like I said, I didn't really feel like I made that much of a jump to Division One, just because right. it was a mid-major and it was such a small school. So I was kind of still looking for more when I was there. I mean, I improved my graphics work while I was there. My boss, Matt, gave me a lot of opportunities to do that. But there was still more I was looking for. You know, we didn't have post-game press conferences. We didn't have football. We didn't have a lot of media in Greensboro because, I mean, any media that was covering sports in Greensboro would go towards the ACC because that's where their conference is located. Right. You know, the Greensboro Coliseum has, you know, well, used to hold the tournaments and stuff. So <laughs> we, uh, we didn't get that, and especially the sports I was covering. I mean, my women's basketball team didn't win when I was there that year. And, I mean, I loved them, and I loved my team and my girls, my coaches, but I was wanting more. So right. Chip knew. I had interviewed a few different places this past summer, and nothing really worked out. Part of me was I wanted to be closer to home in New York, and then I thought about that. It's just, like, way too cold there. So Chip called me in October and told me that their women's basketball SID um, was applying for Tulane um, to be men's basketball at Tulane, which is obviously still an ECU's conference. And I was like, okay, well, let me know. And he's like, if you are interested in this job, you should apply and talk to us. And I did not take a hint at all. I honestly was like, okay, whatever, sure. Yeah. And he was like, Olivia, you should apply for this job. Like, I showed my boss, who's my boss, Tom, your resume. And he said, if you want to apply for the job, you should. I always couldn't take a hint. Yeah. So eventually I did apply for the job and Tom called me. We had a great conversation and I was offered the job at ECU after I came on campus for a day. Um, it was the easiest interview I've ever had because I basically drove over a uh, two hour drive in the morning. It poured all day. So I didn't even take a full campus tour, but they showed <laughs> me the football stadium. Um, they showed me, you know, the basketball arena. I met most most of the coaches I met weren't even ones I'd be working with because my coaches were out of town and recruiting. And it was just like I felt so comfortable with like all this chaos going on in my interview that I was like, I could do this. And I went back to UNCG and, and told my boss I was leaving. And he was like, oh, OK, you know, all right. I mean, they fought a little bit to keep me, but yeah. I knew that ECU was more of that goal that I was looking for. Um just being at a bigger school, bigger conference, having football, and that's how I ended up at ECU in uh, January. I started the first week of January. Okay. All right. I want to go back, you know, throughout your entire uh, process uh, from LaSalle to Lynn to UNCG to ECU. You've always had mentors. What? Mm-hmm. How important is it for to find, you know, a, a mentor? I mean, like, you don't really have to, like, adamantly be like, okay, I'm looking for a mentor, but just... What what is, what is it like? So mentors are, you can have a mentor in any aspect of your life. It doesn't have to be professional. It could be someone that's just a really good friend that you can go to and ask them questions about work, relationships, family. Um, for me, like I said, Sarah uh, Janice Coblino was my first mentor um, because she got of introduced me to the business. She used to tell me I was crazy when I wanted to be an SID. But now whenever I talk to her, she tells me that she's proud of me for being an SID. Um, Sarah, she, uh, at Lynn, she was more of my like life coach mentor because I was going through so many changes being 22 and a new job, a new town, living away from home for the first time other than college. Um, she really took me under her wing. I mean, we'd have dinners together. We went to a few new kids in the block concerts together. <laughs> um, we had a lot of fun together and she really, she was my best friend, but also when she needed to crack the whip and she oversaw sports information at Lynn. So she, when she needed to crack the whip and, you know, be the bully sometimes she did not the bully, but the boss, I guess. Right. But that's exactly what I needed. She gave me tough love. She gave me, you know, affection when I needed it. She was always there for me when I was sad and I was always there for her when she needed it. Um, so that was, I mean, she's still a great mentor of mine. She made me an even more crazed Kansas Jayhawks fan than I was. <laughs> so, um, I mean, whenever Kansas is playing, I could guarantee you me and Sarah are texting each other. Right, so yeah. <laughs> she was just like, she was a work mentor, but not specific to what my profession is. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
then there's also mentors that you meet along the way. Um, this person in particular that comes to mind, I know has been on your, your uh, podcast before, but he told the story in a much nicer manner. I basically, uh, I stalked him at convention a few years ago because I had heard his name and knew he was super involved in Cosida. Uh-huh. And it's, it's Ira Thor for anyone who is listening and hasn't figured that out yet. And I made Kelvin uh, Quellas introduce me to him one night and after that I had sent him I think a follow-up email just saying like hey thanks so much for talking to me like it really meant a lot and now I talk to Ira multiple times a week (laughs) it's like three years later I was talking to him last night he was yelling at me that I needed to go to New York and see Billy Joel in concert some more (laughs) um but he's become a mentor to me I mean anytime I've been especially this past summer when I was looking for a new job and applying places and he was always super upfront. Let me know. I mean, he's written letter recommendations for me and he, that's someone who's never even worked with me, but he knows my work ethic. He knows my personality pretty well. And I mean, he, you know, I literally stalked him and he can't get away from me, (laughs) but he's become a great mentor for me. And I always push people, um, especially people in the tri-state area, um, near New York and New Jersey who are working up there. I always push them to talk to Ira because he's been around yell at me for this one so long but he's young um and he's kind of seen it all and he's had opportunities to do so much and i mean he's as pa for the giants which is pretty cool right small e3 sid is doing pa for the giants um but yeah i mean there's mentors like that who just kind of come out of nowhere in your life or sometimes you seek them out um but they're important to have i mean when you have a bad day at work And say you have, you know, if you're married or you're in a relationship or you live with your family and they don't understand what you do, like your mentor, if they're SID or do some form of college athletics, they'll get it. And that's why it's important to have that person. Or even if you have a great day and like, I'll call my mom and be like, mom, blah, 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 this happened today. And she's like, great. I'm like, you don't get it. (laughs) Yep. I've been there, you know, trying to explain my dad the difference between. Yeah. Everything, they, basically. They don't so. get it. My mom tries. I'll give her that. Yeah. She, she'll, uh, she'll watch basketball. Um, whenever she came to the conference tournament this year, because it was up in Connecticut, um, She, my sister came up when we played at UConn for women's basketball. And they try, but they're just not as into sports as I am. So right. it's a little weird, but that's why you got to have mentors and good friends and sports information. Um, i got kind of two questions in one here. You kind of touched on a little bit, too. Uh, what is defined a mentor, and how do you d- distinguish that between you know being a mentor and being your friend? Because I mean, like you could do the same thing with with a pal, or you know. You said define a mentor. Yeah. Okay. Um, my definition of mentor would be someone that not only that you look up to, but that you want to model yourself by. Okay. You know that that they're a model for you, basically. Um, and that's a good, I mean, a lot of my mentors have become my friends, but then there's also mentors that I would go strictly for certain things and wouldn't tell them about my love life or my dog. Well, I tell everyone about my dog, (laughs) Um, but you know, different things. And, um, one way to gain a mentor for professional reason is Cosida has a mentorship program and I'm in it and my mentor is awesome. He works at Virginia tech, but we don't talk like me and I would talk. So it's, different um but i definitely think a mentor is someone who you can go to and like i said it depends on what um for me my sports information mentors have to be able to have experience i'm not going to go and have a mentor who's less experienced than me so i guess i would add experience into define a mentor as well okay all right How how do you know like when you find a mentor i mean there could be just things you just you just hit it off with somebody and then you'd be like oh he's my mentor Yeah, um, well, for Sarah and Janice, it was kind of just, they were girls, and they were, you know, Sarah started as a SID, like I had mentioned before, so for that, it was kind of just like, okay, well, they could be my mentors, because I admire them for what they've done. Um, For Ira, he was super involved, and he knew a lot of people, and I was like, this guy's obviously well-liked by a lot of people, I need to meet him, and Kelvin thought I was crazy, and I might have been a little bit crazy, but I met him, and now he's my mentor. Um, 
there's been other various professionals that I've connected with and I've been able to talk to, but I wouldn't consider them mentors. I would consider them more of friends. I mean, Danny Campbell is one of them. I've talked to him multiple times on, about, you know, careers and development and stuff, but I wouldn't, I would consider him more of a friend because he's not one of the people I would go to directly when I have an issue or a right. question or something like that. Okay. All right. We're going to move on to a little bit. We've talked about this, uh, gosh, man, how, it's been weeks. A couple weeks ago uh, with one of our guests, Jen, um, Sparkles in Sport. You yes. founded it. Go ahead and yes. brag about it. Co-founded it. I Co-founded, co-founded it. excuse me. Um, so it's we've actually been doing Sparkles in Sports for almost a year, um, officially longer than that, but we didn't launch until right, right before the summer. Um, basically sparkles and sports is a blog that me and Katie Gwynn Hewitt, who works at Michigan founded together. And, um, Katie was the brains behind it. I have to give her credit for it. Um, she came to me and said, Hey, who's your female mentor? And I was like, well, I don't really have one right now. Cause it was when I was working at UNCG and you know, Janice wasn't in the business anymore. Sarah wasn't an SID anymore. And I was like, I don't have one. So we started talking. She was like, what if we created like a blog for females who work in sports and don't have mentors, but want to like get advice. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So we took a few months to plan it out. And then we launched last year. Um, we aren't super active in like, we post seven blog posts a week. You know, we try to pick and choose what we're posting so we don't flood it out. Um, we want to put great content out there. We have a pretty solid regular following. Um, but you know, I definitely think there's still places that we can improve and, and grow more, but we've gotten crazy great feedback from it. I mean, we get, uh, inbox messages on our blog cause we have like a contact us section from people that neither of us have ever really heard of before saying, Hey, you know, I found this blog because someone retweeted it and you girls are doing a great job. Like, thank you so much. Um, just last week we got a, a message from a student. I think she's a grad student. She might be an undergrad. And she basically said, every time I have a, a question or something comes up, I come to this blog and there's always been a story based on that already. I'm like, wow, we're helping people. This is what <laughs> we wanted to do. So it's definitely awesome. Um, it's hard balancing, you know, your full-time job, running a blog, mm-hmm. being a good human being, <laughs> um, and I'm in a bunch of different organizations and committees with COSIDA as well. So we definitely are looking to always expand. And we, we've talked about adding, you know, feature writers and we do a lot of guest writers because that's, you know, not everyone wants to hear me and Katie speak. We, we've, you know, we came up from the same division two conference. That's where we met. We moved to division one schools within the same month of each other. So we, our experiences aren't the same as people who've been around longer or people who are undergrads right now. So we like to have different, um, different people tell their stories as well on our blog. So if anyone's listening, any females out there and they want to write for sparkles and sports or have a cool story they want to tell us, contact me. Works for it. And then we will get your contact information uh, later. So yeah, that's sparkles and sport.com. But I want, I want to go back to something that you mentioned that I, that I wanted you to hold on to uh, for just a moment. You you were you know young female working in the sport industry. Not only that, but you were younger than some of the student athletes that you were overseeing. This is going to be a really really broad question, but what are your feelings on how women are treated in the sport industry? Um, that is a really broad question. Yeah, I think that women are. It's getting better. I'll say that. It's getting better. Um, you know, yesterday actually was the one-year anniversary since, I think it might have been CBS Sports or NBC Sports posted the video of Sarah Spain reading, the guys reading the mean tweets to her. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's like, it made me cry. Obviously, as a Division One, Division Two SID, like, that stuff doesn't happen to me, but to see it happen to other females, like, it's crazy. I constantly am reading on Twitter females that I work, that work for, you know, major teams or stuff, like, they retweet the mean tweets that get sent to them sometimes, it's kind of funny, but it's, like, sad, it's so sad, how is that okay, like, people say that stuff to guys, too, but they're not as, like, derogatory, and, like, they criticize girls for everything, and it's not Mm -hmm. fair, so, 
I don't like how girls are treated in sports, but I've never been treated that badly. I actually wrote a blog um, um, post about it on my blog, but it was actually first featured in Cosida's magazine talking about like how females are treated in sports. I think it's getting better, definitely. Uh, I would like to see more constant improvement, um, but I've never really encountered super bad situations. Um, some funny ones come to mind where people just, you know, doubt you because you're a girl and you work in sports. But, like, people don't doubt a guy who works in on Broadway. Like, right, <laughs> so yeah. what's the difference? <laughs> uh, that was probably a bad example, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I've never, thankfully, you know, been treated super awfully. I have been told plenty of times that I don't know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I don't. I'm just, like, making it up. But to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there, there still needs to be constant improvement. I, like... I like that there's, you know, COSIDA does, I keep referring to COSIDA, but, like, that's our organization. Right. I'm active in it. So um, they're, they do, you know, minority, female and minority um, grants and scholarships, and I think it's awesome for our organization to push that and to push for females to be more active. Um, I mean, that's also what my blog's about, is trying to get us our little community. Yeah. I'm going to go off around here. Um you know, if anybody who's been with us all year long, we had a, a, a guy, episode 7, Joel Godet. He's a Ball State play-by-play guy. He had a, a, God, I can't remember her name, but he, on his podcast that he had, that's one of my favorites, uh, play-by-play cast, he had a female ESPN anchor on. And he kind of addressed that, you know, people tweeting, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, she does play-by-play for football, and some men don't like it. I mean, and then Joel, on his opening, said, you know, I do football, basketball, sometimes gymnastics, tennis, and baseball. And he says, I was a high school fencer. How, yeah. like, do you think I know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, there's things like that. That just, things like that make me mad. So, again, another broad question. What, what are some baby steps I need to be taking to kind of get rid of that stigma? Um, girls sticking up for themselves. <laughs> My, uh... One of my former jobs, I'm going to try and say this as cryptically as possible because I want to call out a former student-athlete, but one of my former jobs I worked at, I had a male student-athlete once tell me I was wearing um, lipstick, like not even like a crazy color that would draw attention to myself, but we were out there for picture day and he was like, oh, well, why don't you give me a kiss on my cheek so I could have your lips in my picture? And I was like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I obviously didn't back down from that and I made I think I put the fear of God in him, and I told him that if he ever said anything like that to me again or looked at me like that, not only would his coach find out, his uh, the athletic director and the school president would find out, and the kid never spoke to me again. <laughs> well, not in a bad right, way. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I was younger when that happened, and I was so taken back because I was like, I don't know if he's just being a jerk or if he's trying to flirt with me or what, but why is mm-hmm. he saying that to me, you know? Um, I would never say something like that to a male, like, that I was working when I was a student-athlete. So, like, why would, you know, it just didn't make sense. Um, so it's baby steps. you got to stand up for what you believe in. I mean, if you can't let people walk all over you. I mean, I also don't believe in crying wolf all the time over little things. But, I mean, make it a conversation at least and let people know it's not okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to transition to uh, a part of the podcast uh, that likes to ask fun questions. And since we have some user-submitted questions, thank you, Danny, um, we will go ahead and ask those. Uh, where do you see the profession in the next five years? Um, I see it becoming, and I think everyone would kind of agree with me, is I see it becoming more digital media and less print. It's already become a lot less print. I work at a school right now where we have a pretty decent-sized media following for a group of five school. I mean, I have local news guys come out to tennis at ECU, mm. and that's awesome to me. I love that, you know. But I don't, I'm don't. i afraid that's going to go away because I feel like our profession is starting to serve more of the Internet and the fan. And I think that sports information you're supposed to be giving information out there to be telling a story. 
And who are you telling your story for? Which is a big toss-up question that people view differently. To me, you're telling your story of your student-athletes and your program. Well, who do you tell that to? Your news athlete, your news outlet, and then they tell it to your fans. Or, you know, with social media now, you also tell it to your fans. So I think that our profession is kind of losing the, the value in sharing that media, that, you know, we're um, communications. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, media relations or, you know. Right, yeah. It's strategic communications. But, like, nothing more than I love, like, I love more than having our local writer come out and write a story on one of my women's basketball players for something, you know. I'm afraid we're going to lose that. And I I mean, I know at ECU, this, the SIDs, we work really hard to maintain that relationship and not lose that. But I do see that happening. At the same time, I'm a millennial, so I like the digital media. I like scrolling through Twitter and never having to turn on ESPN <laughs> to see what's going on that night. Um, I watch a lot less TV because of the way our profession's going right now. But, yeah, I kind of see it changing in a good and a bad way. Okay. What, about, what, what, are, what is a common misconception with SIDs? Our jobs are so cool. <laughs> everyone at home, everyone I go to New York, they're like, wait, do so you work in sports and you watch sports all day? I'm like, yep, that's all I do. Um, no, I don't sit for hours and write bios and press releases and crunch numbers and stats and find random facts. No, no, I don't do any of that. I just watch a game and go home. Um, that is such a common misconception. Um, another common misconception for a female SID is that everyone will tell you, I get it all the time um, from some of my really good friends in the profession is, how do you not have a boyfriend? Because you're, you're literally every guy's dream. You watch, you work in sports and you're a girl. I'm like, that's not every guy's dream. First right, of, all. Yeah. <laughs> of all, like I have no life because of my job. Well, that's not true, but you know, it's hard to balance a work, your work life balance, but it's, those are two common misconceptions. Everyone's like, your job is so cool. You must just watch games all the time. I'm like, yeah, I watch games all the time, but I do a lot more than that. And, oh, you're every guy's dream. I'm like, yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just curious. Um, how do you explain what you do to your parents? Um, well, because I've been doing it since I was an undergrad, um, my mom, she knows it. Um, she gets it. She, when I get frustrated about stuff in the past, I've called her to kind of vent about it, and she doesn't understand, so I just kind of stop telling her the bad stuff, which mm-hmm. there's not even that much bad stuff, let's be honest. We do work in sports. Um, but she she tries to be supportive, but the best way to really have her see what I do is to have her come to my games. So whenever she's in town visiting, you know, she used to come down to Florida for Easter every year, and she'd always come out to um, our men's lacrosse game or a baseball game that weekend. Uh, she's been to a few, she's been to some women's basketball games at UNCG when I was there. And she's been to the conference tournament, the the uh, American conference tournament for women's basketball this year. So that's the best way for her to see what I do. I mean, she does, she's not going to read every press release I do because I write, you know, 20 a week sometimes. Right, yeah. So um, in the beginning she used to read them all. And then I was like, mom, I'm covering like, 14 sports <laughs> stop reading everything um but she follows my teams and she's gone more into sports um she won't sit down and watch a baseball game with me but if the Jayhawks are playing she'll watch Kansas play so you know that's how she kind of she learns what I'm doing by watching me um I wish she lived closer and she could come to more games I love having the support of my mom there but yeah like verbally trying to explain to people what you do is way too hard. So uh, speaking of, you know, learning, so what can we do to better train future SIDs? Get them as hands-on as possible as undergrads. Um, when I was an undergrad at LaSalle, we, the way that the department was structured from Janice and then Todd had taken it over was that everyone learned stack group. Everyone. Right. Unless you were absolutely awful and had no attention span, which at points that was me with the whole basketball thing, um, everyone would learn stack crew and everyone would learn how to keep a book for volleyball and basketball and everyone would learn how to scoreboard and jobs were always rotating. And then once you found what you're really good at, you stick with that. And that's how I got stuck. Stuck. I didn't mean stuck. That's how I got on stats. <laughs> I didn't mean stuck. <laughs> that's how I got into stack crew and I learned all the different sports, but, um, 
teach them everything. I mean, when I was at Lynn, I tried to start implementing that, and I had started to teach my interns stat crew and Photoshop, and then we found their strengths and weaknesses, and we would work towards that. And, you know, they always got A's in my class because I taught them things that they were interested in. I wasn't going to sit there and be like, hey, go back and find this box score from the 80s and input it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, yeah, in the summer they had to do that, but on a day-to-day they were making game programs and, you know, our weekly video show that I was writing and being the host on and editing, I delegated it. I had a woman's golfer that was an intern. She would write it and I had a baseball player edit it every week. And then I just had to re- I just had to read the script, you know? Yeah. So just teach them as much hands-on so they can see if this is what they like or what they don't like. Um, quick story for you. My, my little cousin, she is a uh, undergrad freshman right now at Siena College in New York. And her, her boss, I hooked her up with the job, is one of my little, I'd call her my mentee, but she's only a year younger than me, and I'm uh-huh. like, I'm not that experienced than you, but she went to LaSalle with me, and she kind of followed in my footsteps after I had left, and kind of took on the role I left off with, and she's her boss, and she's like, I'm teaching Victoria everything, I'm like, she doesn't want to be an SID, and she's like, but I have so much hope for her, because <laughs> she's so good, but that's like, you know, Katie does it at her job, whereas um, Katie Prince is the SID, the assistant SID at Siena, she teaches them all because that's what she's learned and I really think that if you come up in an organization that teaches you all different aspects of being an SID you'll learn right away if this is what you want to do or what you don't want to do so I think that's really important there's nothing I hate seeing more is an SID in their first year whether I mean grad school is different because you're not tied in but your first full-time job and realizing oh my gosh I don't want to do this you know yeah um I feel like if they have the experience before they get there, then they'll know if they want to do it or not. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so during your entire professional tenure, what's your favorite memory or memories? Um, okay, I have two. Okay. Okay, my first one would be um, when I was at Lynn. They're both from Lynn. If I, Yeah, I'd say they're both at Lynn, um, my top two. When I was at Lynn, my first year covering women's golf, we won a national championship. Um, We beat Nova Southeastern, who had won four straight in a row for women's golf. They were in our conference. They were our rivals. They were 30 minutes away, and we we, we were up one stroke in the last round of the national championship. We ended up winning by three or four strokes. But that's not the good memory because we thought we lost. They thought they lost. Everyone was crying. I mean, like, you see the footage of it and the pictures, and it looks like it looks like no one won because everyone was crying. No one was happy. And then we found out we won, and it was happy. But what was the good memory was the very next year they repeated as national champs. They brought back the same five team, the same five golfers from the year before, and absolutely crushed the competition. I think they won by a total of twenty nine strokes the next year. So like they went, yeah, I know <laughs> your face is like says it all right there. They uh they crushed it, and I mean that was like we were basically having a party on like the back nine that day because we knew we were winning, and it was awesome. Just going back to back in national championships with those girls, um, I actually have a tattoo from that national championship from the first one that me and Sarah the SWA got um, as like an inside joke with us, and then. The next year, three of the girls who were seniors, when they won their back-to-back one, they went and got similar tattoos to us. As like we, it's kind of cool, you know. You have a golfer who plays in the like, you know, European Ladies PGA Tour, and uh-huh. she's it tattoo with me because of this memory we shared. So I would definitely say Lynn's second Women's Golf National Championship was my first really good memory. Um, I mean, I look back on those pictures and I like. I have their national plaques hanging up in my office. I have pictures of them everywhere. I mean, it was a great group, and it was so much fun. And we were in North Carolina when we won, actually. Um, my second memory, uh, when I took the job at Lynn, a lot of the reason I took, I got the job, I'll say, is because I had a lacrosse background. And yep. in the South, lacrosse is not popular. And they had just added a men's lacrosse team. And that first year was absolute, excuse my language, hell. We... The good news is I had a lot to write about because everything was a first. But the bad news was we were getting blown out by, like, 20 goals every game. Yeah. Um, there's no mercy rule in men's lacrosse, but nope. there should be if you're a first-year program. <laughs> um, but coach was great. Our coaches were great. I loved the guys. I was um, the only girl who traveled with them because it was all-guy staff, male trainer, and Olivia. I was, like, the princess in the group. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in, I would say, when we won our first game in program history, um, we beat Lise McRae at home. I think everyone cried that day because it was like later in the season, so it didn't happen right away. We beat a team that had been around for a few years. And, I mean, in, in just an incredible, incredible experience being there and seeing this team start from the day coach was on campus getting his interview, getting interviewed and meeting with him to signing our first recruit to first day of practice to them running a mile and whoever got in first got to pick their number first because it's a, it's a first year team and no yeah. one has their number yet. Like all this fun stuff we got to do. And then that first win was, I mean, it was our only win of the season. We lost a bunch after that, but it was just, it was so rewarding seeing that and being a part of that from the beginning. I still follow that team. Um, they beat their highest ranked opponent ever. This is their fourth, fourth year. This year, yeah, they beat their highest ranked opponent ever in Division Two this year. They, um, there's, there was twenty something kids on the team the first year. Only five of them are seniors this year that are still there. Mm. So there's been a lot of turnaround. Um, love those kids. Love that program. That first win, man. I will tell that story. I mean, I was so excited. We won like fifteen to three too. So I knew it wasn't even going to be close. Um, incredible, incredible memory when I was at Lynn. Just seeing that whole program develop and still. Still following their success is awesome. Do you follow college lacrosse? Lacrosse, excuse me, a lot. Um, I wouldn't say I follow it religiously. Oh. Being in North Carolina and having Duke nearby, and Maryland's not far, and obviously North Carolina, they won it last year. Um, it's on TV more than it was in Florida. So I enjoy watching lacrosse on TV. I enjoy watching lacrosse live. ECU just added women's lacrosse. I'm they're acting. I'm acting as their SID right now. Uh-huh. And if I become their permanent SID, it'll be awesome because I know the sport already. But it'll be another tough year with it being a first-year program, which I would be up for the challenge because I've done it before. Yep, yep. Yeah, I watched uh, North Carolina last year, actually. It's hard to mm-hmm. get lacrosse in uh, Indiana. Um, that's difficult, and I love lacrosse. But, yeah, I got to mm-hmm. see North Carolina play against Notre Dame in Ohio okay. Stadium. So, yeah, very familiar with North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so we talked about your, your your good memories. How about the other side of the coin? What what are some? What is your biggest horror story uh, that you've had? Um, okay, this is a funny story. It's a horror story for anyone. I would think it's more of a horror story for a girl, just because embarrassing stuff happens all the time to girls. <laughs> I ripped my pants <laughs> um, at a baseball game. It was when I worked at Lynn. I think it was my first year, and I had ripped my pants like literally like in the crotch area like the worst possible place and we sat we didn't have a press box we had a table on like a a concrete slab platform under a tent at baseball and we had a baseball game that day and I didn't live far from campus but I ripped my pants as I was setting up for baseball so I had no opportunity to go home so I had to wear um Sarah, our SWA, and I went to her office and we got whatever we could find to cover up this huge gaping hole because I sat in the press tent, the whole field would see up my legs. So um, I wore a long jacket tied around my waist, 90s style, the whole game. It was like 94 degrees out in Florida in March, and I was sweating bullets, and this thing was like dripping sweat down my waist. (laughs) It was so (laughs) And it was so embarrassing, and people were just staring at me like, why is that girl wearing a jacket? It's been Florida. That was a pretty embarrassing story for me. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm sure it's, I'm, you know, there's always somebody who out there who's ha- has had worse, but, but yeah, that, that would be a, a big one. <laughs> um, if you had to give an award to three digital media teams in college athletics for their work, uh, who would it be? Um, ooh, okay. For this example, we've had like Clemson, obviously, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I don't want to pick any of them, though, because yeah. everyone thinks they do a great job. And they do do a great job, but I feel like they always get the, the you know, the praise. Um, well, North Central College in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I think that's where North Central is. Yes. I think they do an incredible job for a Division three program. I follow all their accounts on Twitter, which I think is really weird because I don't really know anyone there and have no connection to that school, but I found them, and I think they do a great job with graphics. And, and you know, 
for a small school to pump up con- pump out content like they do, I think they deserve all the praise for it. They do an incredible job, um, and I think everyone should follow them. <laughs> uh, another school I would have to say, hmm, it's tough because so many people are moving jobs right now, and right. I'm like, oh, they were really good when they were there, but they're not there anymore. Um, I'd say Kevin Young at Austin P does an incredible job um with he works he's their football SID but he does a lot of graphics work for them mm-hmm. um and I mean I started following them when he got the job there because we're, we're good friends and I was like oh yeah you can definitely improve this and he's done an incredible job uh-huh. improving um and I love following their stuff and seeing their stuff and or his stuff and it's definitely someone who deserves some praise for what he's accomplished and uh, the last school, it's not a school, it's a conference, uh, is the SCAC, where Katie Mucci works. She's the assistant commissioner of, of communications. <laughs> that was, my dog agrees. My dog loves yep. Katie. <laughs> um, sorry about that. No, you're good. But Katie's like a one-person shop, and she does it all. Um, she's also one of my good friends, so I might be plugging my friend a little bit here. But she she does a really great job. Um, she's taught me stuff on Photoshop. She's innovative. She does video stuff. And, I mean, it's really cool to see a conference office produce content and such a small conference office mm-hmm. produce that kind of content. Right, yeah. Okay. So um, what advice would you give to a student going into this profession? Um, hmm. I would tell a student going into this profession to, one, find a mentor. Don't, like, not necessarily, like, search one out like I did because right. I'm crazy. But, you know, find someone who you admire. Um, reach out to them. Don't be afraid um, to reach out to people. This is the second part of that is pick up the phone and call someone. Don't send an email. I mean, emails are fine. I'll answer them. Like, everyone does. But it means to me so much more when there's a undergrad or grad student who wants to reach out to me and is like, hey, I mean, an intro email, like, hey, can we get on the phone? But like someone picking up the phone and calling you and talking to you means so much more. And, you know, networking is big right now and it it probably always will be. But to me, networking isn't just, okay, yeah, I know that person. It's I know that person, I've talked to that person, I continue to talk to that person. Um, so you have to make contacts who become your network, not right. just your network off the bat. That's not how networking um, works. That's how some people, oh, yeah, I know that person, I know that person. And I'm like, oh, how well do you know that person? Because that's one of my good friends. <laughs> oh, okay. So definitely if you're going to make a contact with someone, try and make a relationship out of that. Don't just network with people to say you know everyone because uh-huh. people – eventually we'll start to see through that and it doesn't look good for you. I mean, if you're making, if you want someone in your network, you, they obviously have value to you and you have to pick that value up and, and learn from them. Okay. All right. So, uh, a work life balance. What do you do to have fun? Uh, I hang out with my dog a lot. <laughs> um, in Florida, I talked a little bit about how me and my neighbor would go fishing and sharking and, and fun stuff like that. Um, in Greensboro, my whole entire SID office was my age or 30 or younger. We were all really young, except our boss, but he was married with kids. Um, so we had our whole social life there together, and we did fun stuff on the weekends, and we went to wineries or you know minor mm-hmm. league baseball games in Greensboro. So that I had a lot of work life, maybe too much life balance when I was in Greensboro. Um, here... I've only been here a few months. I came in in the middle of basketball season, so I haven't really found a work-life balance yet. Right now it's a work-dog balance, but it's okay because I've done this before. I've moved to a city that I don't really know anyone. Um, But work-life balance is interesting. You know, people have different things that they value. I mean, someone you've had on your podcast who's been one of my great friends for years, Kyler Ludlow, he's married, and he's, like, my age. I'm like, I don't even know if I could have a relationship that long, let alone be married with someone with what we do. I mean, so, I mean, we t- me and him talk about it all the time, like, oh, my gosh, how are you, like, married, and how do you even find time for, you know, your wife when 
you're traveling with your sports and stuff. And he's like, it's all about the balance. I'm like, well, I can barely take care of my dog. (laughs) Not for me right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it for me is something that I often like preach to people is I need to have like a daily decompress from work. Even when I just like right now, I'm not in my busy season. So I really am working nine to five unless something comes up. I need to have a daily decompress. So every day when I get home, I turn my, well, I only have one phone now. I used to have a work phone and a personal phone. I turn my, my phone off or I put on airplane mode or leave it in another room and I don't check it for two hours. So if I get home at five, I will not answer a work email until seven. And then from seven to nine, I'll answer a work email. But once nine o'clock happens, unless it's an emergency, I'm not answering it because you need to turn work, your work brain off. Um, otherwise you get burned out. I mean, when I was at Lynn, I was constantly working. I was constantly working all the time and I was, I loved it and I loved living in paradise, but I was getting burnt out. I worked a lot of sports and I was always traveling. I didn't have, I didn't have a dog in Florida cause I couldn't. Now here I have a little more work balance. Um, actually in Greensboro, I got her when I was in Greensboro, uh, had a little more work balance, traveled a little less. Now I have a great work life balance. Um, but I still need that two hour decompress every day, you know, yeah. turn your phone off, go for a run. Now I started running again. You know, I said, I didn't want to run the, my whole life to my mom. I said that a while ago. No, 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 no. Now I run every day. So I get <laughs> home and I turn my phone on airplane mode. I put my iPod, you know, feature up my music app on and I listen to music and I go running with my dog. And then I get back, I shower, I cook dinner, I eat, and then I check my emails. So I don't even have to turn my phone off. anymore. But that aspect of like shutting down for a little bit, I mean, Stop it. If it's in an emergency, they'll find you, you know? I mean, and how often does an emergency happen, Mm -hmm. you know, in what we do? Um, My big thing I I tell a lot of people is I try to preach to my coaches that if it's not something you would want me to bother you about after 9 o'clock at night, don't bother me. Send me an email. Some coaches in the past have gotten it right away. Some coaches have been, you know, well, you never answered my email. I'm like, well, it wasn't an emergency, so I'm not going to. But it's, you know, we need to find that we need to find that balance. I mean, I hope one day when I'm married and if I ever have kids that I won't be ignoring my family at the dinner table to be answering work emails. So mm-hmm. that's something that I try to instill now when I'm 26, you know, that if that's going to be my future, I want to make sure that I don't have those bad habits down the road. Okay. All right. Next time someone's in Greenville, and if you don't have one in Greenville, you can go Greensboro if you want. Restaurant recommendation. I don't have a super big restaurant recommendation in Greenville because I'm still trying to explore this town. It's not that big, though. There's some places I go, but I actually enjoy cooking a lot, so I don't go out Mm -hmm. to eat here um, often. But in Greensboro and and, uh, in Boca Raton, I could give you a bunch of places. So first, Boca. If you're ever, ever in Boca Raton, Florida... You have to go, and you like Mexican food or Spanish-style food, tacos and stuff. El Jefe Luchador. It is on Hillsborough and North Military Trail in Deerfield Beach. It's just south of Boca Raton. And it is street-style tacos, and it's amazing. Uh, Me and Sarah would go there all the time for lunch. We'd take our interns there at our end-of-the-year intern lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, Great place. Love their food. Miss their food deeply. Um, So that would be my number one place in Boca that I absolutely miss eating at um, and would recommend to anyone. And I do recommend to people when they go there. And in Greensboro, let's see, my number one place I'd have to recommend, and if anyone from Greensboro is listening, they're going to laugh, is Old Town Drought House. And this is why. It is located kind of in the middle of campus. It's on a road that isn't on campus, okay. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, not technically considered campus. And it's where we would go after every game, and we would go there and have some beverage, adult beverages and, and dinner and stuff, and Old Town. Old Town Drought House. But okay. if you're looking for a burger, you got to go to Hops, which is also pretty famous. Not near campus, though. Okay. All right. Those all sound great. Next time... I gotta make I gotta I gotta make a list. I keep saying I'm gonna make a list of everybody's recommendations. You're gonna make... have like your own Food Network show, yeah. SID Food Network show. Yeah, there hey, you go. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, okay, yeah. but I'm gonna copyright that, so you can't get that. <laughs> All right, that's fine.
It works for me. <laughs> I don't have the time anyway. <laughs> um, it's next time someone had any, any questions or just wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to do it? Probably Twitter, because I'm always on it. Um, my Twitter handle is at LivCoiro. It's pretty simple. L-I-V-C-O-I-R-O. Um, that's also my Instagram name. I'm not a big Instagrammer. Um, basically, just when I'm traveling, mm-hmm. uh, do I Instagram. But I'd say Twitter is probably the best way to contact me or via email. I mean, my email's on the ECU website. My personal email is my first name, dot, my last name, at gmail.com. Um, but I would definitely say those are the two easiest ways. I am a big phone person just because, you know, things can get misconstrued when you're texting and email, and I guess I'm old school in that sense. So mm-hmm. if anyone would like to get in contact with me, shoot me a message on Twitter or or. Email me, and then we can chat on the phone. All right, cool. Well, that was episode 24. What would you think of it? I liked it. I've listened to a few episodes. Not all. I wouldn't say I listened to them all religiously, but I do know a bunch of a bunch of people that you have um, had on your show, a few of them that I've mentioned. So I have listened um, in the past. I was really nervous <laughs> to do it because I do ramble. And uh-huh. I think dumb That's fine. Yeah, it's all good. I mean... It, Works for me. People listen. People listen to hear people like you, so that uh, doesn't doesn't bother me one bit. Doesn't bother anybody else. Um, again, thank you all for listening to another episode of SID Cast. And speaking of people that that like the show, I've been getting a lot of uh, personal Twitter messages on my account. That's completely fine. You want to tell me that you love it? I love hearing from every single one of you. Um, it, it makes me really happy <laughs> to know that somebody actually likes the show. So, uh, again, you can uh, uh, follow me personally at David Gibson underscore XC because I haven't changed my cross-country thing yet. So I should probably uh, uh, change that at some point. As always, you can follow SIDcast uh, at SIDcast on Twitter, and then you can follow you know backslash sports infocast on Facebook. And if you want to search directly under your browser bar, it's also backslash sports infocast for Twitter. But, um, yeah. And uh, same thing with the Gmail. You want to tell me that you like it, you love it, you hate it. Doesn't matter to me. I've got like, gosh, what day is it? Thursday. I've got like four or five days left here. So if you want to tell me that you that you hate it, that's fine with me. I'm moving anyway. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you all for listening. And we will have Jason Hendricks back on for part number two uh, next week. So that was episode 24. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you all in the next episode.